Welcome back once again to the Kyle Style Podcast. So, I gotta address something uh, first off for this episode. Uh, I encountered a slightly frightening uh, level of what is known as synchronicity. And you're like, what's synchronicity, Kyle? Well, I'm gonna tell you. Synchronicity is the simultaneous occurrence of events that appear significantly related but have no discernible causal connection. You know, call it coincidence, right? I was trying to work on a podcast about a a book and film that are very related, and I was approaching it, thinking about it rather, for the last, you know, month or so. And here in the last uh, week or so, if you've been watching the news, you may have seen coverage of the uh, Zika, or Zika, I think it's Zika virus, that's uh, now spreading. So, this virus was first discovered in Africa in the 1940s, but it's spread to South America, and now Central America, and... The it's being spread by mosquitoes, similar to malaria. Now the the effects uh, or the symptoms rather are relatively mild. Um, the okay, so the virus has now sickened more than twenty six thousand people and killed over 11,000, okay? Uh, The World Health Organization, WHO, warned just last Thursday that the Zika virus is spreading explosively across the Americas and could infect as many as 4 million people. There are cases of the virus in, uh, in Los Angeles, now the the symptoms are relatively mild in call it healthy adults. Uh, it's you know fever, rash, joint pain, and conjunctivitis, which is pink eye. Uh, symptoms typically begin about two to seven days after being bitten by an infected mosquito. But the the real threat here, if you've been reading the news, you already know this, but uh, the real threat is to women who have a child in utero, uh, to pregnant women. There is a increased risk to the unborn child of what's called microcephaly, uh, micro, being microcephalic. And that's basically that their their head is small, or like their I think their skull is small. Their brain grows to the normal size, and it causes uh, debilitating ment- or deteriorates mental development. So you you're giving birth to a, a disabled child ultimately. Now, this this is an evolving situation. It's kind of all breaking fairly quickly. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting there to be a little more panic about this before it's all said and done, but, uh, there's cases of Britons who, British people who were on vacation in the Caribbean and, uh, Central America, and they returned home and they had this disease. And 
I, I want to be clear in a certain respect that say you say a pregnant woman had a uh, mosquito infected with the Zika virus when she had a pregnancy, it could cause a microcephaly microcephaly. Uh, after a week and then eventually after she has that child she could have another child and it would not be it would not have that risk right it's not that uh, persistent of a virus but uh for the sake of the theme and the narrative of this particular episode of the kyle style podcast we're gonna stick with this this uh danger to the unborn there's even talk in Venezuela of uh, trying to delay or uh, proposals to inhibit f- uh, current pregnancies. Like they, they're trying to have a moratorium on new, per- new pregnancies while this is still an issue. There's no known cure for the virus. And I'm assuming that like other diseases... Uh, the immune compromise, immunocompromised or young, the very young, the very old might have, uh, you know, fatal reactions, fatal symptoms to this drug or to this um, virus. But there's no known treatment. There's no vaccine. You either kind of survive this, those symptoms or not. And again, the real threat is, of course, to in utero uh, uh, pregnancies. So what's the synchronicity part, Kyle? Well, the synchronicity, of course, is that I was thinking about the uh, doing a podcast on this book that I'm a a big fan of. It's called The Handmaid's Tale. It's by a Canadian author named Margaret Atwood. And the the episode I was going to do was just going to draw a correlation between uh, The Handmaid's Tale and the 2006 film starring Clive Owen and Julianne Moore called Children of Men. Now, I want to compare and contrast the two, but also put it in context with the you know, more current events. So, Children of Men is... Uh, again, 2006, so, you know, it's a 10-year-old movie. It's kind of one of those, uh, it's sort of a cult classic at this point. You, you, people watch it, and they go, this is a great movie, and yet at the time when it came out, it just sort of, uh, I think it sort of fell flat. I don't think anybody knew what it was or, you know, how to receive it, but essentially, the movie revolves around uh, these particular characters, obviously, but uh, the the movie revolves around a world in the near future where women around the world are, for whatever reason, not conceiving children, right? They're not conceiving babies. And as the world realizes the depth and completeness of this uh, infertility, everything kind of starts to fall apart at the seams, you know? With no babies, there's no future generations, so there's no civilization, right? So in in the story, one uh, in the film, one young woman does become pregnant, and there's a massive uh, power struggle around her, the the baby, and 
what's going to be done about this one uh, fertile woman, and, and you know, is she uh, does she have a cure for a disease that they all have, or is it just her genetics, or maybe other women will now become be able to be pregnant again? Maybe there's some other factor, but you see what the world looks like when women and with very stark imagery and great cinematography. It really is a, a really well made film. Uh, what the world looks like when that you know there's no future generation, right? Now, I was going to compare and contrast that film, which I'll proceed to do, uh, with the uh, 1985 uh, dystopian science fiction novel The Handmaid's Tale, again by uh, Canadian author Margaret Atwood. So... The Handmaid's Tale, it was also made into a film, but I, I've seen the film, and I can't, I can't really recommend it. it it's, it's a, it's a expression of the book the way Jurassic Park is an expression of that book. You know, it's like kind of on point, but, you know, it just, it has some of the imagery and things, but it's just sort of off a little bit, and the, the book is far more effective. But, um... The Handmaid's Tale centers around a a woman uh, named. We only know her as uh, of of Fred, of Fred, which is actually of Fred. She sort of belongs to a ruling class. Uh, they call him the Commander, and that's all you know. You don't know his real name. He's just the Commander, but uh, his presumably his name is Fred. She's of Fred. She belongs to him. She has a companion who she goes shopping with who's of Glenn, which is presumably of Glenn. So her commander's name is of Glenn. And they are part of the ruling elite of the nation of Gilead. And the nation of Gilead is a... God, it's you know you try to find the right terms for this. So, it's a technocracy. It's a authoritarian state. But there are, and this is where that comparison to the, to the children of men and the Zika virus situation comes in. There's particular stresses that led to the creation of this particular government and this nation. And the stresses are that, as you learn through the course of the story, that they're not quite sure why, but it could be a, a combination of environmental uh, pollution and even you know STDs, sexual promiscuity, all of these things. But it's led to a drastic lack of fertile women. As a result, women are rounded up and tested. And if they're fertile, then they're sent to uh, what they call the red red centers. And these these are basically like indoctrination schools where they kind of they strip them of all of their belongings. They try to sort of strip them of their past and uh, indoctrinate them into a new practice. Now this new society, this new order is centered around uh, these these handmaids and 
trying to create this. Uh, it's it's influenced by the Old Testament, and and it's a has a Christian backbone. This uh, authoritarian state, and they have very particular ideas about the roles of men and women in society, and they justify their uh, enslavement or entrapment or confinement of these fertile women by inciting or, or invoking Old Testament scripture. And specifically, it's centered around, uh, or at least the handmaid's aspect, it's the handmaid's tale, right? Centers around Genesis 30, 1 through 3. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children, or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in God's stead, who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? And she said, Behold, my maid Bilah, go in unto her, and she shall bear upon my knees, that I may also have children by her. So, basically, they're invoking... Uh, uh, you know, sir, uh, biblically backed uh, form of uh, adultery, but with a aim towards surrogate motherhood, right? And so what this actually looks like in the story is that she's a handmaid. She's been kind of indoctrinated and groomed and instructed in her conduct and her station in life as a fertile woman. And... She lives in the manor, the home of the commander and his wife, and they have servants and everything. And her role is to basically once a week uh, be uh, be rutted in. I mean, be, to breed, attempt to breed and uh, reproduce with the commander. And this is... It's it's detailed in the story, of course. Uh, in a in I don't want to say graphic. It's not, it's not exactly graphic. It's almost clinical, right? But the scenario is that the wife is there holding her while the husband is having sex with the handmaid, and the there's a goal though, and they're forbidden from actually having really any interaction with this uh, with their their commander or their. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't want to call him an owner, but their 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 owner. It's not supposed to be romantic at all, and there's a interesting level of uh, it's. I want to, I want to call it female jealousy and deceit and mistrust between the handmaids and the wives of the commanders. It's like everybody's kind of on board with what's going on, but the the wives always want to flex their muscle and uh, keep the handmaids on their toes and uh, maintain their status in the, in the household. But this, um, but this country, again, is also a technocracy, and it lays out in some steps in some, you know... Uh, her nostalgic or, or uh, her flashbacks to what led up to this, the world being this way. And one of the things that happens is that 
the computer systems and technology were turned against at least the women, right? And basically, if you, you know, had a credit card or something like that, and it had, you know, if you had to think of it as a checkbox, like M for male, F for female, anything that had, you know, the sex F, they would just turn it off. So now all of a sudden your bank account is closed, your credit cards don't work, you can't, I don't know, check out a library book, right? And then these the steps come come on more and more as the, call it the crisis, right? So the crisis is there aren't enough fertile women to uh, elevate to, call it a replacement level. And the, so these draconian measures are implemented to, you know, round these women up and everything. And not to drag other current events into this, but the the idea that the birth rate and uh, fertility of a nation uh, drive policy is very real. The current, the the migrant refugee crisis that's happening in the EU, I don't want to just drag all that in, but was in part sparked by a uh, projected future tax and labor shortage in Germany, specifically. They, their birth rate was low, and then you have aging pensioners, and they have to have money to be able to pay for the pensions and retirement plans, and you know, and the taxes and everything, there was a shortage, and so these migrants were brought in, and now you have this crisis because you know they kind of brought too many in, and it was sloppily done. Uh, Japan is looking at this uh, in the future. They they call it an upside down society. There's more more older people than there are younger people, and you can look at some of the havoc and the confusion of countries like China, where the one child policy was implemented. And then, and then was recently repealed. This caused a with a, a male child preference. This caused a, a surplus of male population, which of course has its all of its own problems and issues. Now, these stresses and these factors. Uh, are in play in the real world, right? The the value, the GDP, the value of your currency as a nation, and even your value as a person can be affected by your own actual fertility. So the nation of Gilead, of course, uh, concentrated and focused their powers and their efforts on trying to find all of the fertile women and impregnate them, indoctrinate them, make them part of this new state, right? And it's it, and it is set in the real world. It's uh, I I feel like it's I, I feel like it didn't actually say what country they're in if I remember right. It's it's kind of like they're in, you know, Minnesota or something like that because they attempt to escape and they attempt to escape over the border and they talk about going north to cross the border and once a week uh before the weekly um copulation if you will they uh offer uh, is allowed to sit in the main room and watch the news 
you know, kind of like a child. She even mentions it in that sense that she's like a child. Uh, and she gets a tiny glimpse of at least their propaganda. And they, because they're so restricted, they, um, you know, she she sees the news and tries to kind of parse it for the the truth and the reality, right? Resettlement of the children of Ham is continuing on schedule. 3,000 have arrived this week in National Homeland 1, with another 2,000 in transit. Now, of course, the Sons of Ham is also another uh, biblical reference. Uh, One of the sons of Abraham was Ham, and Ham disobeyed his father's orders, uh, went into a tent at night and, and saw his father passed out drunk, saw him in his nakedness, and because he disobeyed his father was cursed to be uh his his skin became black and and everything this is the biblical origin story of black people basically uh so the sons of ham in this uh particular world it's uh you know this this gilead is also a racist and xenophobic state they're removing or concentrating or uh policing uh, all the black people. So they police the women, they police the black people, presumably the other races as well. Um, but another another aspect to this, right, isn't just that, um, you know, you, you could almost understand, right? You could almost understand the ethical dilemma of wanting to perpetu- uh, perpetuate civilization, which is done through reproduction, and... Even, I'm not sure how how you could balance it, but even against the will of the mothers, you go, look, this is bigger than you, this is a huge crisis, you're you're fertile, you must have children, must have them, or our civilization might sort of vanish. Well, in the story, it is, I feel like it is kind of implied that... It may or may not be that women are infertile. Maybe it is the men who are infertile. And the draconian measures they go to are quite telling in that women are are not allowed to read. And in fact, all forms of uh, even public signage and everything are... Uh, are removed and replaced kind of like in a Renaissance kind of way. They're replaced with pictures. Uh, signs indicating what they are. So Offred and her companion Ufglen are allowed to go uh, shopping together and they, you know, walk to the sign that has a fish on it and it's the fish market and they go to the one with the, uh, you know, steak and uh, eggs on it or whatever and then they go in and they get steak and eggs at that store and they don't have money, they have coupons, they have, you know, tokens that they... uh, trade for what is there and there's all kinds of shortages and things described in it so it's sort of this uh it's a functional state but it's not a land of plenty as it were um and the control scheme of gilead includes not just the fertile women the fertile women are like the they're like the the solid gold of of gilead they are very highly valued and they're very very protected 
but men, men who wish to eventually marry, have to serve the needs of the state. So there are the angels who are uh, soldiers who are fighting for the state of Gilead, and then there are the guardian angels who are the street guards and protect the you know the neighborhoods and everything. And it's interesting because this control scheme takes advantage of men and their desire to uh, you know have romantic relations and reproduce and uses them as part of the control scheme which helps keep these women cloistered and locked up and used as you know as described in the book she described them as uh, wombs with legs right and so in that sense it's uh pointing out the um and i think this is intended by the author um that there's that male disposability is kind of there that these men are all also victims of this uh very you know authoritarian and draconian state But the presence of these guards and this entire social structure where it's all for, you know, God and country and these handmaids are kind of getting bred based on this uh, Old Testament interpretation, uh, the, it creates this environment that even Offred is aware of that is in some sense, almost pleasant. She kind of, she's kind of torn about it, I think. And it's the idea that she's, she was taught at the Red Center, but it's demonstrated to be true, which is the old world, which is our world, our paradigm, was a world of freedom too. She had the freedom to dress how she wanted, work, uh, have her own money, spend it how she wanted. She could smoke, she could drink, she could do... She had the freedom to do anything she wanted. Well, the, the world of Gilead is the freedom from. She has the freedom from uh, rape and violence and having to worry about her own, uh, her own safety, her own wealth, her own, and in some sense, her own health. All of these things are taken care of. And even she knows that in some sense, it's in some sense, it is an improvement. Uh, she has zero fear of being catcalled on the street because a man who would disrespect a handmaid in such a fashion would get pulled into, a, you know, get black bagged and pulled into one of the vans that uh, takes people away to be tortured. Now, that's not to say that she likes her imprisonment. She is well aware of what the world used to be like, and she's uh, well aware of wanting to be free and not be kind of used as a broodmare. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to give away any spoilers, right? Because the this book is fantastic. It addresses... Uh, to me as a man, of course, I'm trying to, you know, kind of uh, have the specific empathy, empathy, specific empathy for women in a particularly female situation. So in, in some sense, I'm mansplaining The Handmaid's Tale, uh, which is, you know, feminist science fiction. 
but the it's fairly apparent and obvious how excruciating and how inhuman it is to you know contain these women keep them from you know reading and that kind of thing and i the obvious parallel of course is you know not to draw in you know potential xenophobia but uh the middle east and women in burqas right and there's even a a scene in the book where uh I think they're specifically called Japanese uh, tourists, are in Gilead. <laughs> I almost said America. Uh, they're in Gilead, and they are fascinated by these uh, handmaids because when the handmaids go out, they are wearing the handmaid's uniform. And the handmaid's uniform are uh, these sort of wool red dresses that are that are you know go all the way to the ground they're full sleeved they're high necked and i think of them as not not form fitting but not flouncy they they fit to the body but not in an, in a flattering way and they hide everything they wear gloves and they have bonnets they have these bonnets they described as having wings and these wings come out so far in the front that they hide their face from the sides like you have to you know kind of peer in uh to look directly at them if you want to see their face and that is sort of frowned upon as well like you're why are you being so forward with the you know handmaid but these uh you know these japanese tourists are you know talking to them and saying well you know do you like being a handmaid do you like this position that you're in and um and they because of the surveillance state that they live in, they have to watch everything they do all the time. They have to, even to each other, off Glenn and off Warren, or off Fred, they can't, they can't openly talk about how they don't like being handmaids because they don't trust each other because either of them could get black bagged if the other one reports the other. And that's really one of the, you know, the roots of, the truly corrosive authoritarian state is individual people not knowing who's an who's an I, who's a you know who's a spy. Can I talk to you about how this is inhuman and wrong, or are you going to report me for it? But uh, in the same sense, these uh, so these Japanese tourists, you know, say, "Hey, do you like do you like being a handmaid?" They're taking pictures of them and everything, and uh, you know, uh, Offred is is looking at these normally dressed you know japanese women and looking at them wearing shoe like heels you know high heels with open toes and she's remembering what it felt like to have her foot you know sort of in one of those heels and then you know trying to uh, you know rectify how she's living now with how she knows how she used to live but she knows she can't say to them like you know fucking save me uh, and so she answers in a sense that I, I believe I've heard in, about, uh, you know, in the Middle East, women who are forced to wear burqas, or maybe they're forced, uh, but that, yeah, I'm happy. This is my duty to be this way and live this way. And and the the that answer, though, is a captive response, right? It's out of fear, out of potential uh, retribution, you give the answer that is most safe and most ex- and most expedient. Otherwise, there might be consequences.
But um, I, I don't want to give spoilers away, of course, but the book progresses in showing you, it, and it does that fairly effectively, it kind of gives you a broad view of how this world functions, the sort of technocratic aspects and the uh, and the scenario in the world that led to the perceived need for the handmade system, as well as the cultish type practices that actually go on with the uh, impregnation of the women and the childbirth and, you know, what happens to the children after they're born, that kind of thing. And even uh, how the there's a, a, a group psychology aspect wherein men and women are victims of mob violence. It's it's kind of like right out of 1984, this sort of, uh, you know, 10 minutes hate kind of thing, where w- the handmaids can be set loose to get revenge on someone that they're told uh, was... Uh, laid a hand on a handmaid and then they're now are all kind of indictable on this you know group of vigilante mob justice and makes them all one by engaging in this and and solidifies their in-group behavior and maybe i'm not doing it justice but you can see all the imagery again in like in the in the film uh it was like 1990 was the movie was released and I'm not a huge fan of the film just because I feel like it lost a lot of uh, it lost a lot of the more visceral aspects of it and kind of focused on more of the more of the the more kind of visual and graphic aspects as opposed to the real dread and fear. I feel I felt like the uh, the real walking on eggshells feeling that you get through the whole book didn't come across in the film and that that's the real danger is living on you know living on pins and needles uh are there microphones in my room and if i talk to somebody are they you know going to report me for for speaking to them that kind of thing but um but this book came to me it was it was a recommendation from christopher hitchens and i remember some interview or something and to me, again, it's it's on par with 1984. It's on par with like Brave New World, and I understand why it maybe wouldn't be taught in say public schools because there is essentially institutional rape, right? Uh, and it does paint Christianity pretty poorly. Um, but in some sense, it's a similar practice to like Sharia law, you know, I mean, this is part of why people I think are very resistant to, uh, things like Sharia law and, uh, and the practices that we see with the, you know, burqas and veils and things. It, uh, it's a potentially a, a step in the wrong direction, but, uh, I, I highly recommend this book and, uh, I'll include some links here with my blog or, you know, on the SoundCloud here to where, you you know, uh, you can buy it. I'll find an Amazon link for it. And apparently Claire Danes did a reading of it, which is on Audible. I think the thing said it was like 11 hours long. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it would be worth it. It's it is very it's very good. There's a lot in it. And, you know, I'm already at 
I'm almost at 40 minutes just trying to uh, talk about it. But uh, I I wanted to kind of wrap it up with this, which is that uh, as with 1984, as with Brave New World, as with, um, I don't know, as with any, you know, nuclear war movie, right? The world can take a step towards that world that imaginate an imaginative uh you know fabricated world at any time if we clamp down on our freedoms if we uh clamp down on the rights of certain groups of people if we allow environmental pollution to run amok we may be threatening our own survival as a species we may be threatening our own uh, future we may be threatening our own freedom and the not just the fate and future of humanity is is in the balance but uh, the actual practice of being alive and being a human being and being free in a fundamental fundamental visceral sense is potentially at risk every day. Thank you for listening to the Kyle Style Podcast once again. Uh, go ahead and uh, check me out on Twitter. Uh, it's at KStylePodcast. Uh, you got KSouthsBlog.blogspot.com and uh, SoundCloud, of course. And we just recently got approved for Stitcher. And I said we. <laughs> it's it's me. It's just me. Uh, me got approved for uh, Stitcher. So uh, lots of um, audiobooks and podcasts are on Stitcher on your iPhone or Android. Uh, head over to the GoFundMe page. Uh, throw me a few dollars, and I'll hopefully have more quality content coming out for you here in the next uh, few weeks. And uh, I'll try to keep you entertained and informed and uh, possibly amused. Thanks for listening. Bye.